It's very good to be back with you again. I like being here. I'm being spoiled with hospitality at Pastor He Woo's place. Makes a very mean bacon and eggs. Too many. I'm normally a very skinny person, but it's just the bacon and eggs at Pastor He Woo's place pushing me over the edge. Today I'm sure you can empathise with that. Um, the videos there of India, that was a, a church that comes uh, to India, has come four times with us from Queensland in Australia, and must have a good video guy in their church. Uh, they actually went to a couple other ministries as well. So we were the Delhi bit, and there was Salem and Calcutta, I think. So there were other ministries as well, just to give you an idea. But it still gives you a good feel of India, a little bit of what it's like. And maybe you could have a Shatin church team come and stay. We've got a big place in uh, Delhi. If you want to see some more of that, we're going to do that in the seminar as well. You can see a little bit of what the base God's given us in Delhi. And uh, I'm sure we could get six or 12 people from Shatin Church over to North India. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, opportunity and place to be. I wanted to look today a little bit at what I call a call. In America, they say things like, this is your call. You know, it's your call this time. Well, today I want to talk about your call for a little bit. And there's some funny ideas that we have uh, about call, what it is, how it works, what it means. I know the call of God and talk about the call of God often keeps people from finding their call. I think it was Hudson Taylor that when he first wanted to come to this part of the world, the people in England who are authorities above him said to him, young man, if God wants to reach out to this part of the world, he can do it without your help because God's sovereign. That's what they told him, you see. And if we all took that approach to the sovereignty of God, which I believe in the sovereignty of God, but if we all took that approach that, oh, God will do it because he's sovereign, then none of us would have to do anything, would we? We could just sit back, enjoy ourselves, and um, wait for God to do it in his sovereignty. Is that right? So while we believe in the sovereignty of God as evangelical Christians, and we should, how that works out in our lives, how the sovereignty of God works out in our lives, can be quite different. And from our point of view, we will, it'll look like we're involved. I'm sure when we get to heaven, we'll see how God sovereignly led us, but he's God. I'm not God, you see. So I'm trying to respond to him uh, doing the best that I can with the free will that I have. And I'm sure one day I'll look back and say, wow, look how God led me in his sovereignty. But I'm not God. I'm responding how I can with what I have with the free will that he's given me. And the two things go together and sometimes we separate the sovereignty of God and our free will and we come up with a bunch of excuses which I think are holding back the kingdom of God. That's what I kind of wanted to think about for a little while today and maybe it'd be good to pray first before we get warmed up. How does that sound? We'll pray first. So thank you God for love and thank you that you are love and you love us and we're seated in the palm of your hand today, God, if we want to be. We can be right there in the palm of your hand. So I pray that you'd be speaking to us at the moment, ministering to us. You know, we're needy people, Father. We need you. And I pray you'd be ministering to our hearts and our minds this morning, Father. And we pray that God, in Jesus' precious name, amen. I sometimes say to myself, somebody, somebody once said that we're, it's like we're functionally, it's like we're atheists about every 10 minutes. It's like we forget God through the course of the week, about every 10 minutes, and practically and functionally, it's like we're atheists about once every 10 minutes. And if that's true, I, I sometimes say to myself, I say, Craig, if God was real, what would you do? And then I say, well, Craig, God's real, so do it. 
So say that for yourself sometimes. Say, if God was real, since we go through waves of belief up and down, say to yourself, if God was real, what would you do? And then say to yourself, he is real. Jesus showed me that he's real. And therefore, do what you think you should do. Don't be too worried about feelings and funny thinking, but what is it that you think that God's allowed for you to do, fashioned for you to do, designed you to do? Because call can be, we look at a pastor, Hewu, like we were saying before, and say, well, he's obviously called, isn't he? But uh, I've got different things to do. It's just people like Pastor Hewu who are called. So I want us to get it, to think about that a little bit this morning. I like um, Dr. John Piper as leading evangelical thinker in the world at the moment. He says this about call and about reaching our world. He says he has three options. He says you can go, you can send, or you can disobey. That's John Piper, <laughs> subtle kind of guy, great teacher. He says go, send, or disobey. Another one I like to think of it is let's save the world yesterday. Let's get some urgency. Let's get some hurry up, you know. So often our Christianity is about peace and that's okay and, and being relaxed and that's okay. But sometimes it seems we need some urgency. You know, if the building next door was on fire, we'd be urgent about it. And I think sometimes we need that for our Christian faith. Here's a verse from the scripture that I like in this regard in Romans 10 verse 14. I think about this verse when I'm driving through Delhi and I look down streets in Delhi, which you could probably do in this city as well. You look down alleyways and lanes. You say, who's supposed to reach those Hindus and those Muslims down those dark and dusty lanes? Who does go there? Who's supposed to go there? So this is the verse in Romans 10, verse 14. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not, of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's good to think about it, isn't it? So we'll get to those passages in a minute that we heard, read before, which are rather disturbing passages, I think. But a couple of other um, preliminary ideas as we come into thinking about our call. A very famous preacher in England, where a number of you are from, his name was Spurgeon. Probably one of the most powerful preachers that England ever produced. Spurgeon said he had no sense of a personal call from God. He realized that he could talk. Apparently, he could talk pretty good. And he saw the needs of the world, and he understood the Bible. And I think he was one of those guys who got the newspaper and the Bible and could see the needs in the newspaper and how the Bible met the needs. And he just started to talk and preach. He could preach pretty well. Apparently, he rehearsed his sermons in auditoriums, and some of the cleaners got converted while he was rehearsing. Preachers like that say grace and people get converted at mealtimes. So Spurgeon didn't have a sense of a personal call from God. Don't you think that's a good thing? Doesn't that make you feel liberated as you're, you're wanting to do your best for God? You're wanting to go for it with God and somebody's like, oh, well, only people like Pastor He Wu are called anyway and I've just got to sit on my seat in Shatin Church every week. Well, Spurgeon wasn't called either, <laughs> technically. I mean, he didn't have this personal call he just responded to what he thought he should do looking at the scriptures and he went for it and wouldn't it be good if we could have more of that kind of person in the world rather than the funny thinking that we often have about a call a call to me often sounds like an excuse or a way to get out of being called by God 
sometimes think, you know, the person that's really concerned that they're not called. Oh, Craig, I'm not called to do evangelism. I'm not called to do missionary work. I say, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? I often think like that in my planning. What's the worst that's going to happen? You get up to heaven and God says, come here. Come here, Paul. Are you, I won't say Paul, he's another obvious, Jack. Come here, Jack. Are you the guy who, who went to Africa and did all this evangelism all those years? Well, I never called you to do that, so come here and bend over. And he gets out a big stick and he goes, whack. Here's the first punishment for going to Africa and doing evangelism without my call. And I want you to come back every 10 years through eternity for the same punishment, okay? Yes? Is that what's going to happen? Is that what you're scared of? You're concerned about that today. We want to keep it so theologically accurate, don't we? Be careful we don't make mistakes. Wouldn't that be a wonderful mistake to make? To get over, Do you think God could get over a mistake like that? You think he would? I think you'd understand Jack going to Africa to do evangelism without a call, don't you? Just read Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and said, I think I might go to Africa and do evangelism and see what happens. God will understand that, don't you think? But we have funny thinking and we like to, I think, sometimes make up excuses. Somebody said, if you're worried about missionaries and pastors being called, have you been called to your professional executive job in Hong Kong? you get a specific call from Jesus to be in your executive professional position in Hong Kong? We want to be sure we are there, wouldn't we? We want to be sure of that call to that position, wouldn't we? Would we? If God is sovereign and God is over everything and God's in everything, I'd need to be just as sure of my call to be a professional executive in Hong Kong. I wouldn't want to be out of God's will and doing something that I wasn't called to, would I? Keith Green used to talk like that, I think. So it is important how we think about call. What do you say giddy up to? That's what a pastor in Sydney used to say, a leading pastor in Sydney. You say, what do you say giddy up to? In other words, when a person's on a horse and they have the reins of the horse, you say giddy up to a horse and you pull the rein. Apparently, I'm not a very good horseman myself, but apparently you pull the rein one way if you want it to go and, it, and you, want it to, you pull it this way or pull it up if you, I guess that's how it works. I'm not very agricultural. But what do you say giddy up to? What are you hurrying along? Which direction are you going in? I was down Nathan Road last week. You're going in the Nathan Road direction? Or sometimes I think Jesus might have some different ideas to Nathan Road as I'm walking along Nathan Road. You're going in the Jesus direction or the Nathan Road direction. Which one are you saying giddy up to in Hong Kong? We're volitional beings, folks, aren't we? That means... We have a free will, though there's a sovereignty of God, and I'm operating under the sovereignty of God. I'm a volitional being, I have freedom, and I can direct my life this way or this way. At one point in my life, I was supposed to be working for Australia's largest steel company, and I suppose I should still be there doing marketing. And I'm really glad that I'm not. So it's good to think about what is our call, how do we get there. Sometimes for people it's like I think they're waiting for that heavenly phone call. They're waiting for the phone to ring from heaven. And that for most of us there hasn't been a heavenly phone call, has there? We're waiting for that phone to ring, the mobile. So hello, hello, this is Jesus. Says, Craig, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just giving up your job in Australia's biggest steel company and going to Africa and serve me. That'd be all right. I'll be your best friend. Could you do that soon, do you think? Would you quit your job and go for me full time into Africa? This is Jesus calling, okay? 
And even if he did that, wouldn't that just be a little bit manipulative somehow? That he was, I wouldn't do that to my son, I'll tell you. Wouldn't work anyway. Wouldn't work. And God's never done that to me. I have a free will. I'm a volitional being like my 18-year-old, 17-year-old son. And God honors that. He respects that. He's a gentleman and he's sovereign. He's sort of working with the same tensions I have with my children, isn't he? I guess, but in a supernatural way. Now, he's spoken to me in my heart, ministered to, his by, ministered to me by his spirit, confirmed things as I've gone along. But I've never felt manipulated. I've always felt like I wanted to serve him. And I found him to be a good boss. I'm sure a lot better boss than Australia's biggest steel company. So I want to challenge you this morning to think that way about God and to think about how are you cooperating with him? How is he operating in your life? How are you responding to him? Another, we're quoting a few English preachers here today, Dr. Peacock, you'll like this. A few, a few more, I've got another English preacher here called John Wesley. And he said this, when he was talking about call, this is how he looked at call. He said the world was his parish. The world was his parish. And he said this, he said, all people need to be saved. All people can be saved. All people can know they are saved. And all people can be saved to the uttermost. That's how John Wesley looked at call. It's like they can be, I can be involved. And he rode horses around England. He went to America and he saw the world as his parish. John Wesley. I'm sure John Wesley saw God as being sovereign, and yet he was involved in the process with God. Let's have a look this morning from Scripture. Um, Here we go. Let's pull this out here. All right, the Scriptures. Thank you for reading the Scriptures in Luke chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, it's a good thing to have in church, isn't it? Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and I like these uh, passages, and to me, these passages we're going to look at bring out in a more real way issues about call, what call is, how call works. In other words, God is there, I'm here, what am I supposed to do anyway? That's more call, isn't it? That's the important stuff, not what I feel, not what I think, not what I hope. What does the Scripture say about it? That would be good to have a look at that one. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 goes like this. It says, the cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him or to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a very nice thing to say to Jesus, don't you think? Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Isn't that a lovely thing to say to Jesus, sort of thing we should say to Jesus? But Jesus must have seen something in this guy's life that he wasn't keen about because he didn't answer him very nicely. His response wasn't so good to this man. Jesus replied and said, foxes. Someone just said they'll give you their life and you say, foxes. Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So I guess Jesus saw something in this man's life that wasn't given over to God, wasn't right with God, and that's how he responded to such a nice thing that this man said. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That's a pretty reasonable request, isn't it? Bury your father. Is that a reasonable request to say to Jesus? 
Sorry, Jesus, you want to go and have a little funeral? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I must be speaking about spiritual death because you can't bury someone when you're dead, can you? So, well, not, not, it's not physical. It's not a physical. It's talking about the, let the dead, the spiritually dead, I guess, bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's priorities. My father had a debilitating health condition for most of my life or most of his, where our lives overlapped, he had a debilitating health condition. I remember many times taking off to go to Africa or someplace like that, and wondering, as I said goodbye to him, as I said goodbye to my mother last week again, saying goodbye to my father and wondering, you know, was that the last time I was going to be saying goodbye to him? And the temptation in the flesh or in the natural level is to say, can't I just do what it's saying here? Can't I wait and bury my father because he's probably dying can't I wait you know if I'd waited I would have wasted probably five years of uh, mission service in Africa or other countries about five years if I had done what I wanted to do in the carnal what my feelings wanted to do is wait till my father died and then you know wait for that and then go Jesus and we always got this I'll I'll serve you Jesus after I've got enough money wow can't God provide now why does he need you to have to raise so much money what can't he provide as you go he has for me so I if I'd got what I wanted in the selfish and in the selfish realm and and waited till my father died I would have wasted five years of my life serving him on the field we call it Verse 61, still another one said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That's another reasonable request, isn't it? Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. My mother's 76. I said goodbye to her again this week as I'm heading off to India. And she waved to me from the other side of the airport. And I wondered, there's a thought went through my mind, might be a feeble thought, but it was, I wonder if that's it. But Jesus talks about this stuff. He knows that you have parents and I, or you've had parents. We've all got parents, haven't we? That's fairly, or had them. That's fairly basic. And he knows that your family is so close like mine is. And so he talks in practical ways about the cost of going. He's not surprised that we're in close families. He's not surprised that we think money is important. He knows because he knows us. And that's why he talks like this. And to me, these things are much more relevant to a call from God or how it's going to look. In other words, what am I going to do for God in my few short days under the sun? How's it going to look? Let's go over into 14. For a minute, the other passage we heard read. I like this one a lot. Anybody like having parties? I like having parties. I like putting them on. And this story is about a party and a guy who put on a party. Luke chapter 14, verse 15, it says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet or party or dinner and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were being invited come for everything is now ready if you've ever hosted a party you feel a little bit vulnerable at that point like 
you put this, get this big party ready, you want everyone to come, you send out the invitations, and then you feel a bit vulnerable. It's like, I wonder who's going to come. Well, God with us is being vulnerable too. Or the really neurotic thing is after a party, you look at the invite list and see if you want to be really neurotic and see who didn't come. God did that too in this party. He's kind of personable and real and normal and involved with us. Not some distant sovereign patriarch like some other religions preach that he is. He's involved and this is going to be an intimate banquet. And if you're going to be at this banquet at the end of time, it's because you'll be intimate with God and believe in Him. And on the inside, it won't be a surprise you got to the party, you're invited, you responded, you were there, you were signed up, you wanted to be there and it was all good. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. Why do you make excuses when you're invited to a party, especially if you, if you think the party is going to be good? Trouble is, we don't often think that God's party is going to be good, do we? We think that if we go and serve him full time or something like that, that it won't be so good. And it'd be better if I earned a pile of money in Sydney or Hong Kong than risk going to his party because maybe the party won't be like what I want. Maybe life won't be like what I want if I go and serve God. And so they began to make excuses. And this happened 2,000 years ago. But unfortunately, it's a bit too relevant for countries like Australia or Hong Kong or most other countries. But they all alike began to make excuses. And if you listen to the nature of the excuse, I think you'll find they're not only excuses, they're more like lies because these excuses didn't really prevent you from going to the party. So in one sense, they're more than excuses. They're kind of lies because they're not really truthful reasons of why they couldn't get to the party. Listen to them and see if you think they transcend 2,000 years. Here we go. The first one said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Well, you could do that on Tuesday, couldn't you? You can go and see the field on Tuesday and go to the party on Saturday, couldn't you? You could make another time to see a field, couldn't you? I was at the back of a church like this one day and shaking hands as you do when you're going out the door, trial alarm. This young man, after I'd done a talk like this, he said, oh, I'd love to go to the mission field, Craig. I'd love to go to Africa. But I just bought a field west of Sydney and I've got to look after it now. And I thought to myself, man, I've heard that somewhere before. I heard that somewhere before. Jesus knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? He knows what he's talking about. Please excuse me, he says, won't you? Tra-la-la, I'm off to see a field which is going to keep me from this party. Maybe he thinks the party is not going to be worth missing looking at a field. Another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. Now that doesn't mean much in Hong Kong, does it? It means a bit more in Delhi. We have oxen walking around Delhi doing what they want to do. They kind of reign supreme in Delhi. But it doesn't mean much in Hong Kong. So, Instead of I just bought five yoke of oxen, what I just bought a BMW. Would that be better for Nathan Road, something like that? I just bought a BMW. And I'm on my way to try it out. You like that exegesis? I just bought a BMW instead of five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to go for a burn and try it out. So you could drive the BMW or the five yoke of oxen to the party, couldn't you? But it's an excuse. Because you don't want to really be in the party because... You mustn't think the party's that good. You mustn't think it's worth going to the party. You mustn't really want to enter into the spirit of the party. 
And so we're evasive and so we shy away from God's party and we do other stuff when he wants us to enter in. And we make up excuses like getting some transport and going for a burn. So please excuse me, he says. Here's an interesting one. Still another one says, this is really creative excuse, this one. I'm sure Jesus never thought about this one before and he was shocked by this one. Guy says, still another one says, I just got married. That's a good excuse, isn't it? Don't you think Jesus understand that one? I just got married and so why don't you bring your wife? You could bring your wife to the party, couldn't you? I just got married and so I can't come. I want to come back to marriage in a minute. We just finished this little parable off. So well, this little story off. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry, which you do a bit when the RSVPs are not so nice on your party. You know, you get a bit, mm, I want to be a big party, you know. And he ordered his servants, go out quickly. He got angry. Do you notice he got angry? It's not just the Old Testament God that got angry. This is New Testament God got angry too. Do you notice that? So New Testament God does, we do preach grace in the New Testament, but the New Testament God's allowed to get angry too. Just to clarify, it's not only Old Testament. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly or urgently. Do we go out quickly and urgently to tell about the kingdom? Do we do that quickly and urgently? When, we, when he tells us to go out and invite people to the party, do we do it urgently or quickly? Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. See, God likes a good party. He's going to have a good party. You know what? He's going to have one anyway. Whether we're reluctant or not, God's going to have a good party. I promise you. I'd encourage you to be involved and accept the invitation, but it's going to be a good party. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. These people come in priority after the lame and the blind. That's interesting. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. Oh dear, that's a bit pushy, isn't it? That a bit pushy with the evangelistic strategy? Make them come in. Dear me, aren't we supposed to be gentle? Hmm. It's in your Bible, isn't it? Another version says compel. Compel them to come in. Oh, we're supposed to be so nice with evangelism. And here, Jesus is saying, compel them, make them come in. Dear, don't know if we're supposed to do that with our evangelistic strategies. Not if we're politically correct anyway, are we? If we're politically correct, we're not supposed to compel, are we? Or make them come in. So that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of these men who are invited will get a taste of my party. And you see, you feel like that a little bit, don't you, when you're a host and the people don't show up. You look at that RSVP list at the end. You say, where was Jack and Mary? Well, it's a good thing they didn't have any of my roast lamb, you know? And maybe God's going to feel a bit like that at the end of time. Now, he'll be secure, won't he? It'll be more secure than I would be as a host. It'll be a good party. Okay, let's go back to this creative excuse just to finish up with for a moment. The creative excuse about marriage. Let's finish with that. I think it's a good place to finish. I came to Jesus when I was 21, 22, just at the end of my 21st year. And I met Jackie, who many of you know, a few years later. But it always occurred to me, if gentle Jesus, meek and mild, had saved my soul and forgiven my sins forever, which I thought was a really good deal at the time, then the wife that I married would want to know about that, wouldn't she? And she'd want to know about what I was doing for Jesus and how that was affecting all of my life. That'd be pretty important, wouldn't it? 
And so the New Testament picture for marriage goes like this. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, it says, Do not be equally yoked. Now that's a picture they'll understand in Delhi, but they won't understand it so well in Hong Kong probably. So equally yoked is like this. It's got the, you know, the, the two cows next to each other or the two oxen, whatever, and they've got that thing across their neck. Yes? And then you can point in the same direction as each other. So when you're going to get married, first of all, make sure you're looking out there for the right cow, okay? Make sure you look out there for the right cow there. And then when you get that thing on your neck, you want to be sure that we're sort of, if one's saying Delhi and the other one's saying Nathan Road, you're going to get a real pain in the neck. Do you know what I mean? You're going to get a real pain in the neck. And I've always thought it's worth talking about it. When you're having the romantic dinner and you're looking into her eyes, you say, oh, how lovely you look tonight. How sexy you look tonight. Wouldn't you also say, and would you like to live in Cairo or Delhi too? Wouldn't that just add to the romance over the dinner, would it? Because you're looking at marrying a guy who's already married to Jesus and he's given his life to Jesus and he might end up living in a funny place. So it's only fair that I should tell you that while we're being sort of romantic over the dinner table, isn't it? Does that make sense? I'm already married in a sense to Jesus. And I see so many times when it doesn't happen. We just say, oh baby, I fell in love. You heard that before? You seen any movies? Oh baby, I fell in love. It's like bad luck about Jesus. Here's something that happened in the past. Now I'm falling in love, whatever that is. But if I'm falling in love with Jesus first and then I'm meeting the spouse, I'm going to talk about that, the implications of that. And my wife was the first lady I went out with who really persuaded me that if I said Delhi or Cairo, she could do that and she meant it and she did and she has and she's able to. God's been very good to me with Jackie. Some of you may be already married, that's okay. But for those who are not, don't forget, look out for the right cow and you don't want a pain in the neck. Make sure that thing's working there together and wherever he's calling you to. You didn't just hide it over the romance table. You brought it out in front. You're up front because you're honest with God. You talk to him and your lives lived happily ever after. Is that the idea? Or with a few lumps and bumps along the way. Isn't it good to think about with God? Don't you like the fact that he's real and he understands us? He's a good God, but he understands real life and he understands normal people. I wonder if you could stand with me today, if that'd be right. Would you stand with me today? Could we stand? <clears throat> I wonder if you can just close your eyes for a minute as we finish. The band can come back if they like to. Just close your eyes for a minute if you would. If you feel like you want to respond a bit differently at the moment to God in terms of his call on you, what you want to do with him. Wondering why we've got our eyes closed if you could just slip up your hand and say, I want to move a bit differently with God. I want to think differently with God about what he has for me. Could you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, I want to think differently. Thank you. I want to think different. Thank you. I want to think differently with God about what he's called me to. I want to change a few funny ideas I got from someplace and be dynamic with God and be open to God and be real with God because he is. Somebody else this morning. Thank you. I want to raise your hand and say, I just want to think differently about God this morning and his right to call me to do whatever he likes. Somebody else this morning. That's lovely. Somebody else. Somebody with two hands. That's a good thing. Somebody else this morning. Just want to think a bit differently in my heart this morning about Jesus and God and what he's called me to in my few short days under the sun. 
Anybody else this morning? Lovely. Thank you. All right, put those hands down for a minute. And if somebody else today, you're not sure you even started on the call with God, you don't think you're even on the first page with God, say, Craig, I'm not sure that I'm on the inside of the party. I know there's, and it sounds like there's an invitation out there. You're not sure if you've accepted the invitation yet. You don't know if you're in the kingdom yet. I'm wondering if you might put your hand up today and say, I'd like to be sure, Craig, that I'm forgiven by God, because that's really what it's about. Somebody to thank you. Put it up your hand. Don't be ashamed of God. That's lovely. If the pastor can have a look with me, just put your hand up nice and clear. That's lovely. Bless you. Somebody else. Lovely. Somebody else this morning. You're not sure that you're forgiven by God. If the pastor can look around at those hands with me. Anybody else this morning? You're not sure and you want to be sure this morning. That's great. Somebody else. You're not sure that you're forgiven by God. You're not sure that you've accepted the invitation this morning and you want to. That's lovely. That's lovely. Let's just pray. There's, I think there's at least three people there. So let's just pray with those three people. If those three people can come to me or Pastor Hugh afterwards, just to cement what God's doing in your life this morning, that'd be lovely. Let me just pray, particularly for those three. Father, we know it's a good party. We know it's going to be a good party. And we thank you that you're a gracious host who invites us. You're secure, but you invite us. You make yourself vulnerable to us through Jesus. And we want to sign up. We want to accept. We want to RSVP today in the positive God. And for at least these three people this morning are saying they want to accept the invitation this morning, God. Bless them this morning, Father. Help them to know what it means to come into the party this morning, Lord, that those three people would see us or see the leadership afterwards just to confirm that uh, RSVP this morning. And for each of the rest of us, Lord, as we think differently about how you've called us, that it's a dynamic process, it's not a static process, you're sovereign, but we can be involved with you because of the free wills you've given us. So we give ourselves to you afresh today, Father. We ask you to continue to prompt and guide and lead our lives, God. And we pray that, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.